Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Vetters. And I'm Amy Jocelyn. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share our favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is a discussion on currency, but before we get into it, Amy, it's been a bit since the listeners have heard your voice. What have you been up to? Uh, well, I haven't played any D&D, unfortunately. That is unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> but I have played a bunch of other video games, uh, and I've been doing some writing and some singing, and so basically just pursuing my other passions. Excellent. And well, when it comes down to it, writing and playing video games are basically like the solo excursions into what we do with tabletop role-playing, especially for what we're going to talk about today, the writing aspect of it. Yes. Because one of the big things that I wanted to talk about with this currency discussion is this idea that we keep using currency, at least in fantasy games. And if you're playing something that's like a modern setting or a sci-fi setting, you'll change things around a little bit, Uh, especially if you're playing something like World of Darkness or Unknown Armies, where, hey, we're just in the real world, let's use dollars and whatnot. But for pretty much every like sword and sorcery setting that I know of, there's a tendency to use silver and gold and copper and occasionally like Illyrium and platinum. Yeah, they're basically just all analogous to each other, no matter mm-hmm. what it is. I feel like either we have a, a dollars and change system like we have in the real world, or it's even something like, you know, in Harry Potter, where you have the sickles and the knuts and the galleons, you know, gold, silver, they, they're just either it's base 10 or it's base something funky just to be funky for the sake of it. Yeah. But there's not really anything more creative than that. And I think that currency has a lot of potential to be, like, world-altering. Well, currency is one of those things that in the real world informs so much and is so informed by the society in which it's built. Yes. Um, so I understand from a gameplay perspective why you would want, like, a base 10, oh yeah, copper, silver, gold, platinum sort of system, because it makes it mathematically easy for the players to keep track of. Exactly. And it's just something that we're so, it's so ingrained in in our own society and culture right now that like, it's just only natural to have that. But there are so many more ways that we can explore this idea rather than just like, oh yeah, we got the, we got the silver and the gold and it's, it's one silver for a knight in the end and it's 10 gold for a sword. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you have this opportunity to really make your campaign unique and fun and something that players are just going to want to come back to again and again because they're going to get this experience nowhere else. Exactly. Now, there are a lot of real-world examples of currencies that are not based around precious metals. You've got barter systems that showed up everywhere, which can be a little trickier to deal with in like a, a high fantasy setting. But mm-hmm. if you're going with something like, yeah, we're going to do a Conan the Barbarian inspired game where there's no coinage, you're trading goods and services for whatever it is you need. There's also stuff like cowrie shells, mm-hmm. which I think to me is one of the most interesting 
forms of currency that hmm. humans have ever come up with. Yeah. Because the whole idea behind it was there are these teeny tiny little shells that you have to dive deep into the water to get, and you scoop them out like a hundred at a time, just giant handfuls that you shove into baskets, and then you bring them out, and like, that is your money. Yeah. There's no sense of, all right, we need to mine to get gold. It's No, like, if you can't dive and hold your breath for like four minutes at a time, you can't generate new currency. Yeah. They're also very durable and very small, so they're very portable. That's true. And people would put them on, like, strings, essentially, to make necklaces. So yeah, you would jewelry. wear your wealth. Yeah. And then you could just, like, pop it off and slip off, I don't know, ten to buy your eggs in the morning. <laughs> or whatever it was. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And I actually wonder how much of that, or if, if both... Uh, you know, came about in the same kind of naturalistic way. But the fact that, um, you know, when we have the gold standard and everyone would wear gold jewelry to mm. show their wealth, you know, wearing your wealth is like a very, you know, very honest thing to do because you're not hiding it. But also it's not like, like, sure, someone can steal it from you, but it's like on your finger. Yeah. So what are they going to do? Like, they're going to come up and be like shaking your hand and then just take your ring off. Like, I guess if you're like, if you're very crafty and the ring is pretty loose, then you can pull that off. But that also means if you have a system like that where, you know, it's just whatever whatever you want to adorn your NPCs, you could totally have your thief be awesome at just, you know, slipping things off of people's, you know, palms. and. Oh, yeah. Just go straight up like a uh, magician. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of like the famous magician who does a lot of the sleight of hand pickpocket stuff mm -hmm. and for some reason the only name that's coming to mind is blake bortles who is the quarterback for the jacksonville jaguars and not a magician at all you didn't even think of like david blaine or like chris angel that was it david blaine <laughs> blaine to blake to i get it i get it they are yep. very uh, alliterative Bortles is on my fantasy football team, and oh. he had a really good week last week, oh, but great. I didn't start him. Oh, gosh. Well, then... I know. Your poor fantasy football. I mean, the thing about fantasy football is it's D&D &D for jocks. I always just wish there was more fantasy to it. Like, you also had, like, Merlin that you can join to your fantasy football league. You know, have some of the great fantasy characters. Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. Because, you know, for all we know, Merlin could have been really awesome at football. Maybe he was the one who started American football. It's possible. And then, like, it was just forgotten through the ages until it became just as mythical. And then maybe, you know, back in the day, these Americans unearthed it and were like, well, we're just going to take credit for it. It's ours. Yeah. Jolly good, <laughs> they said, as they put on their leather caps and climbed onto the old railway. Uh, well, back to currency. Yes. I have to say one of my favorite currencies is salt. Salt is a good one. Salt is great because the thing with salt is it's kind of a finite resource. You know, there are only particular places you can get salt from and you use it. So it's mm -hmm. like, it's one of those things that has value because it is consumed and then it's gone. So like, it's never, it's not like gold, which the most you use gold is by making it into jewelry. Right. Which you can still then melt down into something else salt you use it to preserve your food you use it for flavoring you know especially the preservation is like the biggest one but absolutely salt is survival and the more salt you have the longer you live and what is wealth if not 
being able to have more time. Well, there's that old, uh, the old adage of like, ah, oh, yes, that's where the word salary comes from, the Latin word for salt, when like, that's not how that works. <laughs> the Latin word for salt is not salt. But it's still a really interesting idea that like, they actually would, back in the old Roman Empire, pay their soldiers in salt. Because a lot of the soldiers were not, like, standing army types. You would come in and do your soldiering at a time of war, and then you would take your pay and go back to your farm or your land or whatever you had. Yeah. And if you're able to, like, you know, bring it back to your family, and then you have this farm, and you have now the ability to preserve that food over the long, bitter, cold winter, then your family gets to live longer, and you have more to fight for. Exactly. That's great incentive. I mean, it's one of those things that's just so elegant. Um, the only, like, inelegant part about it is if you get enough salt. Like, a pound of salt is kind of difficult to transport. Yes. More so than a pound of gold. Because a pound of gold is... Like, that's a pretty small physical mass. It is. You don't think about it, but it really is just like a... Well, would it be a nugget or an ingo? Ingot? An ingot. Ingot? Yeah. I never know how to pronounce that word. It's one of those that you very rarely, if ever, hear said aloud. Hmm. I'm 90% sure that it's ingot. Ingot sounds right. It sounds like what it should be. But speaking of ingot, we were playing Stardew Valley yes. recently. And uh, the topic of currency actually kind of came up because on the hub for Stardew Valley, there's a G for your currency. And it's like, well, what does the G stand for? Because you never know. And so somebody, like, I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's probably gold. And then yeah. we were mining at the time. And mm -hmm. uh, someone who was watching us uh, suggested that maybe it stood for geode. And, like, that is just such an, a, a world-altering it's, choice. It's one of those ideas that suddenly worms its way into your head. And you think, oh, yeah, what if? Like, because what if, so here we are in the mines, and we mine geodes, and a lot of the things in Stardew Valley is you want to get artifacts. So you take those geodes to the blacksmith, and he's able to break them apart, and you see what's inside. Mm -hmm. But like, what if they were way more valuable for just being a geode, because of that potential that's inside them? Well, and in Stardew specifically, cracking open a geode costs 25G. Yes. So this idea is like, it's more valuable to have them in the sense that you can exchange them as they are, but yes. you're kind of spinning the wheel on like, hey, I'm going to crack this open and see what's inside. It might be worth more or less than whatever I paid to get it opened. It makes me think of Kinder Eggs. Like, if currency was actually just Kinder Eggs. Or like a gachapon. Yeah. And it's like... There is a surprise inside. It may or may not be worth what you paid for it. Exactly. But, you know, are you going to risk opening it, up, opening it up? Or, like, is there the possibility of, like, you know, giving it to someone else or reselling it? Mm -hmm. You know, in a world where Kinder Eggs or, what is it? Uh, Gachapon. Or Gachapon. Like, yeah, so the gacha games are these, like, it started in Japan, which is where the word comes from. Uh, but basically, like, you put in the 25 cents or the 100 yen or whatever, and you turn the little wheel and you've got the giant container full of these little capsules. Hmm. And the capsule pops out and you open it up and there's a randomized item inside. Nice. Uh, 
they this has been turned into a whole like digital currency because they have games uh one of the ones that came out here that was really popular for a while was the fire emblem phone Hmm. game which had a gotcha system where like you select or you you basically buy a character not knowing who they are and then it comes out and they have different levels of rarity and Hmm. different skills and all this stuff so it's this idea of sort of gambling yeah but you're not using at least in the digital versions you're not using real money because you're not getting a real thing back right you're spending an in-game currency to get back your in-game item and it's the same way that like loot boxes and all of that other stuff works that makes sense to me but it's i mean it's still basically gambling if you put real money systems into it then it becomes gambling i'm just trying to think now like inserted inside a campaign you have this, you know, these these vending booths or stalls where you're able to go up and turn in, you know, whatever loot you've collected mm-hmm. and they hand you these bundles of surprise and they each have like a pretty standard value that they're worth. So you could use them to barter for other things or you could take your chances and see what's inside. And there could be like this small, slight chance that it actually like is the making of you. There's something so rare and valuable inside that like suddenly you have so much more wealth than you started off with. Oh, yeah. And I think that would just be a really interesting, like almost a mini game in your campaign where you well, would have that opportunity. I would be remiss not to mention that that system has been done before. Really? In the Adventure Zone. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, yes. Wait, no. It's that like the vending machine? Yes. I love it's the vending the, machine. It's the fantasy gachapon. I loved it. It's such a great idea. And for anybody who hasn't listened to the Adventure Zone, which if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to that, thank you, <laughs> I guess. Um, but basically, like at the end of each arc in the first campaign balance, um, the GM would award the players with a token that they would exchange for essentially like a randomized loot drop. And you put it into the slot and you turn the wheel and out comes something. And the way that Griffin, the GM, set it up was essentially he had a list of possible items for each class. And you would put it in and depending on the level in the class... You would roll a die, and whatever number came out corresponded to whatever item you got. So, like, if you got a one, maybe it was a book with two spells in it that you can burn at random, just whatever you want, if you're a wizard. And if you're a fighter and you roll a 14, then it's like a pair of bracers that you can use to punch down doors, or, you know, just random enchanted magical fun things. Yeah. But if you are putting a system like that into your own game, you can literally do whatever you want with it. Like, if you want to just scour the Dungeon Master's Handbook and, like, pull out whatever cool items you want, go for it. If you want to make up your own, please. I love making up my own fantasy, like, enchanted <laughs> items. It's the... F- it's so fun. It's so cool. And my one of my favorite things in any game is randomization. Because when you do randomization well, there's such this beautiful, like, 
feeling of chance. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, am I going to be lucky today? Am I going to be unlucky? If I turn this dial, am I going to get like a flaming sword or am I going to get some, you know, broken down candles? Like, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, when you get something like that, you can always, as the player character, you know, spin that into something useful anyways. It's just like a matter of how you role play, but, you know, giving your players the opportunity to have that chance to really like, you know, embody their character and do whatever they can with what they get, like, is just such an exciting thing. It ups investment because everybody loves a prize. Yes. Not everybody likes surprises. Yes. So you want to balance it. Yes. But if, if there is too much of like a variance and, and the thing is, if you are, if you are building this yourself, customizing it per player, and you know what their level of surprise, you know, tolerance is, you can totally like fill in a lot of duds with a lot of really high end things for the person who like is like, hey, just give me it all. I I wanna I wanna have this. Oh, yeah. But somebody who, you know, wants something a little more steady, like just give them a whole bunch of like the same level kind of, of thing. So like no matter what they get, they're getting a decent value for what they're putting into it. Right. And they're not going to be disappointed because the last thing you want is to make someone in your game unhappy. That is something that we come back to a lot. Like player satisfaction is incredibly important because you want to make sure that all of your players keep coming back to the table. And setting up a system wherein you have something that I have given my player who is a loot monster and like that's all they really want is they like the grind and they like the new stuff. So I'm, I'm going to have them... Let's say they're level six. So it's like, all right, every item that you can get is a plus one something. Yes. Like, that's pretty decent. That's a nice spread. And then for your really, like, roleplay heavy character, you've got a couple of, you know, enchanted weapons and things like that and some armor that has a bonus. But then snuck in there, let's say, like, there's the diary of the villain from the last arc Ooh. that has some kind of secret in it that they never found out. Or, you know, the a locket with a person's picture, and if they find that person, then they'll get some greater reward for going out and doing something. Like, you can use that to build story seeds, depending on your player's level of tolerance for random bullshit. Yeah. And, like, this is a really good opportunity for Easter eggs. So, like, if there are inside jokes that you have with your players, like, if something just keeps coming back up, now is a really good time to insert that in because they're going to get a hoot out of it. Especially if it's in a literal Easter egg. (laughs) Oh, and then this Easter egg just popped out. I wonder what's inside. Oh, I love it. Uh, And, of course, like, at the same time, if you are playing with a traditional currency system on top of whatever this randomized reward system is, no player is ever going to be upset. They might be a little disappointed, depending on what they wanted, but they're not going to be upset if you turn the wheel and out drops, like, hey, it's a thousand gold. Yeah. Neat. And that, that too, having both of those systems in is a really good way of not alienating anybody. You know, for someone who doesn't want to do hard math, for someone who doesn't want to take the chance, like having that predictable, the currency system that we're used to is is a great way to just have that in as well. It makes yeah. things a lot easier. It's reliable. It like, is. There's a reason it hasn't really changed since D&D 1. Yes. But at the same time, too, if you want to spice things up a bit, like, do it. Mm -hmm. Spice it up. Then, you know, your players have this option of using both currency systems, of, 
you know, foregoing one for the other. And they can just, you know, really customize their own playing experience to your campaign. Now, one thing that I would like to touch upon is the idea of different currencies between borders. Oh. Because in the real world, we have, you know, dollars and Canadian dollars and pounds and euro and pesos and yen and all of these, like, hundreds of different currency systems. Yeah. And... Dealing with things like exchange rates in a fantasy setting is wild, and I do not recommend it. But if you want to give your setting a little bit of flavor, just call your gold pieces different things depending on where your players are. Yeah. Or, hell, maybe they uh, maybe they went through the dungeon in your fantasy land of Warlockia. <laughs> And found a big chest of gold pieces, but it's all minted in the wrong currency. Ooh. So, like, this is, you know, a thousand gold, but it's got the wrong king's face on it. So, like, Mm. it's still gold, but... It's just not functional in your current country of residence. Right, because that gives a new puzzle for the players to solve. Like, okay, how are we going to deal with this weird little problem. It's also a really good way of introducing a new land. If you were intending anyways to take your story in that direction and like you were just wrapping up the final boss in this one country and you, they don't know it yet, but you know, you've got them all going on a ship, you know, to cross the sea into this like radically different country. This is a really good way of introducing that country without saying as much. Because that's the thing about settings that you build yourself. You can constantly add to it as far as the players know. Yeah. Like, I, I know the way that I write, especially when I'm writing a campaign, is I overplan at the beginning, uh, and then I drip feed the information to my players. Hmm. So this like that's actually something that I've kind of done before. Not exactly like that, where it's like I've used a currency to introduce the new setting, but... I have taken my players from, hey, here's this familiar place that you've been in for a few sessions now, and now you're on the road to the new city where the next 12 sessions are going to take place. Yeah. Did they know that it existed before? No. (laughs) Had I known that it existed since before we started playing? Absolutely. (laughs) An interesting thing too, I, I was actually just in Canada mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's, it's so funny how the modern world, like our modern world has changed things so much from even a decade ago where, you know, beforehand you used to have to go to the exchange, you know, vendors where yeah. you had to exchange your currency beforehand or, you know, get traveler's checks so that you're prepared to take out money when you're in this new country to be able to use it. Mm-hmm. And now all you have to do is use a credit card. I, I was in Toronto last year. Yeah. And I just went up to a kiosk in the airport and like popped in my uh, my debit card and pulled out like $500 of Canadian money. See, we didn't even get out cash. We didn't use cash once during our trip. No kidding. No, not at all. And so I think it's amazing that like, you know, if you want to spice up your campaign, you could do something like this. You could have some kind of your universal currency or some mm-hmm. kind of like... Yeah, let's agree that this this fake stuff is real. Like, you know, like same with digital. Like, let's sure. just all agree that when we put money into this digital, it's it's not backed by anything, but we all just like 
are going to go on the assumption that this is here and it's Mm -hmm. valid. And so you could have like gold, the gold standard in your current country. uh, And then your players take a trip and they have, I don't know, magic dust. That's their currency. And like, that's a very hard thing to, to plan to exchange between. But if you have this like, universally agreed on currency that is good anywhere then your players can use that and not have to worry about doing the math and you don't have to do the math but also if they find a treasure that happens to just be magic dust which is only really usable in this new country Mm -hmm. then they have that opportunity to like buy things while they're there and still save their digital currency for or you know whatever that pretend currency is for when they return to their normal country this gives me a wonderful story seed idea (laughs) yay because like um in the eberron setting there is there are these different houses the dragon mark houses and it's like 12 or 13 depending on who you ask really important you could say families but it's families in the sense that like yeah 90 percent of the people who are called smith came from like the same sort of family, let's say. Mm-hmm. Not absolutely true in the real world <laughs> at all, world. <laughs> but like, let's say that's how it works. Sure. And one of them is essentially like this dwarven house that's in charge of the banking system. Yes, I love it. So in your setting, you can very easily take something where, all right, yeah, there are different borders and different kingdoms, and maybe they all mint their own currency, but there's also the banking system that like it is stateless and it can afford to be stateless because it has at (laughs) least most of the money. Right. Right. So like anywhere you go, you can pop down a bank note from the bank of bad (laughs) namia. I'm really off with my names today, but don't worry about it. Uh, but, like, you can use something like that to say, okay, yeah, we have this easy exchange rate. Where the story seed comes in is, how would you pull a heist Oh, on the Bank of Badnamia? Ooh, and I was just imagining that, like, you know, one of your player characters is actually related to that family. So, like, mm-hmm. just trying to figure out how you could, you know, enhance that backstory and use it to influence the actual story, especially if there is going to be a heist, you know, you have one of your player characters who already has an in. Oh yeah. They can just stroll right through that door. They probably like only use that currency because it's their family's, you know, namesake. Right. I mean, like in, in the uh, game that I'm playing, one of my two Monday night games is an Eberron set game. Nice. And I am playing a dwarf. And I actually did disguise myself as a member of the family in order to get, like, not to steal anything, but to open up a fake account. Oh, oh. Which is still, like, that's a back burner story seed that I, as a player, planted Then I can come back to any time. Uh, <laughs> so that's, like, you can do so much weird, fun stuff. Just built around this idea of, like, what do we use as money and who controls it? Yeah, and, you know, I've actually never played a game where there has been a bank. And that was something I've been thinking about uh, this entire time. It's like, you know, we 
we play these campaigns and we carry our money with us all the time. Which gets like literally ridiculous. It does. When you get to the point of, hey, I'm 10th level. I'm carrying 12,000 gold coins. And it just, you know, wouldn't it be really nice if like... To, to, cause I'm always a fan of having a safe place for your players to get back to, whether that's a village or it's a camp. Mm-hmm. But like, what if it's a town that has a bank and you actually like encourage them to deposit their money? Because maybe, you know, each time they return after like a grueling mission, their money has actually made an investment and they have gotten some interest back from it. So they've actually made more money. So yeah. then you have this opportunity for your characters to make a choice between like, you know, do I want money now so that I can spend it? Or should I put more of it aside so that I make more later and then I can spend more later? And then you have these uh, opportunities for treasures that are not currency-based at all. Because, you know, if your player characters know that they have 10000 in the bank of whatever your currency is, they have 10000 in the bank and they're going to be making 500 off of that. And 500 is enough to get, you know, a new, a new suit of armor or something. Yeah. Uh, then you don't have to actually give them any money during that treasure in the dungeon or mm-hmm. whatever the mission is. You can give them something that's purely story-based and they're still going to be making a profit because by the time they come back to town, they will have gotten that interest and they can still use it to buy something. You know, I I have put centralized banks or just like banks in general into settings before, but I've never given my players interest. That is... Such an interesting idea. Ha, interesting idea. Oh, damn. I, I love interest. It was actually the only way that I got through math in high school was thinking about all math as currency. Really? Because I, for some reason, could really understand the equations for interest. But mm. as soon as it was just plain numbers, I was just like, I don't care what these problems are asking me. But like, as soon as I put it into like a money standpoint, like, oh, well, if, you know, like 12 something fractiony blah 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 but yeah. it's like but if that's my money and i've given it to somebody else and now they're going to be giving me a share of whatever you know investment they mean like that that matters i care about that more <laughs> suddenly it's not so abstract yeah that's why i always liked physics more than like mm. just pure mathematics because at least then it's one level of abstraction up and yet once you get to biology which is like four levels of abstraction past pure mathematics i lose interest again same here <laughs> What is wrong with us? I don't know. Also, I, <laughs> I, I just did some quick math, funny enough, and uh, 12,000 gold pieces would weigh about 822 pounds. That's so heavy, like... That's more than even a character with, like, 16 strength, if you're going by D&D rules, would be able to comfortably carry. Like, talk about being over-encumbered. Oh, yeah. And that's just your coins. Yeah, if you have nothing else besides anything that enhances your strength, like, you're bereft yeah <laughs> you could you could actually punch little holes into all of your coins unless you're going on like a you know the uh, east asian markets chinese japanese currencies tend to have currencies or coinage that has holes in them already so you could string them all together and turn it into scale mail yeah you Just could oh my wear gosh your money. that would be amazing especially if that's like intentional like if that is how you want you know, talk about wearing your wealth. Like, your wealth will literally save your life. Oh my god, now I really want a character who just wears their money. It would be great, because you could put the little ones in your ears, and you could, like, braid a few in your hair, especially if they have <laughs> holes in them. Oh, speaking of. Yes. Uh, speaking of, my one of my favorite 
fictional currency systems ever mm-hmm. is by Brandon Sanderson, my okay. favorite author. Excellent. Uh, in his Stormlight archive, he has uh, what are called shards. Uh, and bromes. Like He has multiple names for them, but essentially what they are is they are cut gems inside glass marbles. Mm-hmm. And they give off light. Interesting. So they're useful for a lot of things. You know, people use them for clean lighting source. They they use them to see by, to read by, to just make themselves look wealthy. The kingdoms, like the palaces inside the kingdoms will just have the most expensive gems just sitting around because who's going to steal from them, you know? And that's how they like the that's how they light their hallways. Hmm. And you know, it turns out that they also have like kind of magical properties. Um, I don't think that's quite a spoiler, but you know, it's... I mean, if they give off light, that doesn't sound too outside the realm of understanding. Yeah. And, and the cool thing is like the light fades over time. So they have these big storms that come by, hence Stormlight archive, the storms give them light, they infuse them with this light. And so oh, there's wow. like a risk and a reward to like leaving your money out in the storms because when they're done, when they have no light, they're worthless. People like... Maybe some vendors will like be like, okay, sure, I'll I'll think it's valid, but like otherwise, it could be like a false stone that mm-hmm. you've just put into a marble. But like when they're all brilliantly lit up, then they have use, and then you can trade them for anything. Interesting. And like that's a really wonderful way of it's almost like the salt. Like you know, you here you have this currency that has you know real world applications. Mm-hmm. It's your light source. You don't have to burn fuel for it. You don't have to light candles. Like, that's money you are not wasting because you were literally using your money. And I just think, like, you know, if you were to make something creative like that, something unique, even if it was just, like, if it's your regular currency and you could still have a base 10 system for it, you know, make that easy. But just make make the housing for that money more intriguing than just a plain dollar or a coin. Yes, definitely. And I think that really hits on something that we've been coming back to. Like if you are, if you want to spice up your currency, you don't have to put all the thought in the world into it. Like, all right, where do they get it? And how does it work? And all of this like logistical stuff. Mm. You know, if you want to say, yeah, this country exclusively uses diamonds as their currency. Oh, that's awesome. Like, neat. You don't have to build the whole infrastructure on how they get them or how they keep them or how they regulate them. It's just like, yeah, no, they they do that. That is enough to get your players at least thinking a little bit differently about their loot and their rewards. Definitely. And, you know, even if you just put five minutes of thinking into, like, you have a crazy idea, like, let's use the diamonds Mm -hmm. and just say, okay, well, what kind of repercussions does that have? You know, like what, even if you don't care where they come from, like what do people do with them? Yes. Because diamonds are probably going to, you know, they, they're sharp. They they present several different issues like that you're probably, coinage doesn't. You're probably not going to want to just keep them in a thin, flimsy bag. Right. You're, you're going to want to do something a little bit more with them. But if you like keep them in anything more solid than fabric, it's probably going to gouge holes in them, like, or, or scrape them. Mm. Because, you know, if, if they're cut diamonds, if they're not cut diamonds, like, that's something completely different. Right. So you just have to, you know, it just depends on on how you play around with that. If it is cut diamonds, like, your jeweler jewelers, like, the people who actually cut those are going to probably be, like, really vied after uh, as a profession. There's oh, going to be a lot of people who are going to want to do that. You're probably going to want to have a story that 
you know, at some point involves a jeweler. Well, and like, there's this idea, let's say you're using cut diamonds as your currency and your jewelers are there and like, they are a pretty high echelon of this society, whatever it is. And then you have some magic user who figures out how to collect all the diamond dust mm. and like compress it into oh, new diamonds. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Like then you've got this discarded waste, for lack of a better word, that is suddenly totally viable currency. Yeah. And like, what do you do with that? What What do you do with that? Like when you have an alternate way to do that or, and this just came to me, if like there's another country who's looking to undermine your own and suddenly they start poisoning all of your jewelers and you can no longer cut diamonds. Mm -hmm. So now diamonds are a limited source. Like, and you can set your players up to be like, okay, we need to stop this poisoner. We need to figure out how they're doing this. We need to protect our country. Like there, there is a really good story idea that you can mine. Uh, and um, so or, many in- unintentional puns. Or it could even be, you know, that same magician who's learned to compress it and wants to become the monopoly for who, you know, where everybody gets their diamonds from. Make a little bit of uh, socio-political commentary and name that wizard De Beers. <laughs> there is one last thing that I want to talk about before we run out of time because we spent most of our time, mostly because of yours and mine overlapping interests talking about fantasy systems. Yes. What if you're playing a sci-fi game? Oh my gosh. Because so often with science fiction settings, we get like nebulous galactic credits or whatever, where all of the different civilized races just kind of accept, oh yeah, you're gonna like wave this little chip at me. Cool. That is money, I guess. (laughs) And it's like, totally digitalized fiat, not connected to anything but the system currency. Yes. How do you take a system that works that way and make it more interesting than just, yeah, I got my little credit chip? Well, so this is this is completely veering off. This would be if you didn't like the credit chip system, mm-hmm. because sci-fi is so rich with like a different kind of world building. Here you have people in space, and depending on, I'm assuming space. It doesn't have well, to yeah, be space. Well, like, yeah, that's that's why I said galactic credits. I'm galactic. basically talking about Mass Effect. So, so here we are in space, and you have to determine how involved your space, like, is it space colonies? Is it really established planets? Like, are we talking about multiple planets that have breathable air? Are we talking about they're just on spaceships, and it's just a series of spaceships? And so what you have to think, when you're in something like that, what is the limited resource? Like what inherently has value? And some of the mm. things I can think of are air, obviously, water, water uh, sunlight, depending on how far you are from a star system, like from the stars in the Light center. as a currency is a fascinating idea. Like, you know, solar power, you have batteries, like those things would inherently like something that can still be consumed and used like we're back to salt like that is why salt became a thing was because it inherently had value so here you are in the space system what has value in this world Mm -hmm. what is going to be consumed what is a limited precious resource that you have to make that hard decision of do i keep it or do i use it well and to go in a slightly different direction Mm -hmm. in the sci-fi settings uh in the fallout universe Caps, like bottle caps are the settings because they literally represent water. Yes. Like that's where that whole idea came from. I never realized that. (laughs) One day's worth of water. That's amazing. 
And, you know, that it gets abstracted more and more as time goes by because it's a video game and the world building only matters in as much as the story actually works. Thanks, Todd. <laughs> uh, but think about what your currency represents. Like, if yes. you're using gold coins, okay, it's a precious metal-based system. But if you're using, like, paper notes, what does that note correlate to or maybe you do want to use gold coins but maybe it's not coins maybe it's wiring gold is a good conductor it is maybe it could be something you know gold is used in every piece of tech Mm -hmm. and so you have to make that choice like you know do i want to keep this to give for something else or do i want to make a piece of tech better like then you have all of these salvage opportunities where you're going through and you're collecting all of the rubbish uh, you know, tech that doesn't work anymore and you can break them apart. And that also gives you this opportunity to allow your players to have like more skills that are really relevant to the world they're living in. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> like I, I seriously think I could build an entire setting around that idea. Oh, I'm not surprised. You have a really great way of working with a seed and coming out with a flower. That would be super fun. I should say a forest. You can make a forest out of a seed. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome, Jess. All right. This has (laughs) been a ton of fun. Yes, it always is. I always enjoy having you on the show. Woo! Uh, If people want to hear more from you, where could they find you? Do you have like a Twitter or an Instagram or a Twitch stream? I... Or anything, anything at all you would like to plug? I do. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under my name, Amy Jocelyn. Mm-hmm. I've never used it, so you can give me a reason to start using it. Yeah, do that. And uh, I stream under the name Jess Bellydor on Twitch. Okay. And uh, I'm going to be bulking up my online presence pretty shortly, so you'll be able to find me uh, anon. Right on. And if you want to send us your ideas, anything that we've inspired from you, you can send in an email or, you know, if you've got a question or just want to shoot the shit, uh, you can send that into Dodeca Podcast. That's D-O-D-E-C-A podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram. I said that weird. On Instagram and (laughs) Tumblr at the same name at Dodeca Podcast. Or Twitter at Podcast Dodeca, because Dodeca Podcast was somehow already taken (laughs) by something that tweeted three times and disappeared. Oh, there's just too many social media links. I feel like we're going to have to have a universal currency system for that. Yo! That was a Black Mirror episode. All right. (laughs) So, from all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.